Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories across the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network host. Today, we go to Chicago to speak with Dave Watson of the Locked On Bulls podcast about Chicago's big start to the season. We go to Toronto to speak with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors about Scotty Barnes and how impressive he has been to begin his NBA career. And lastly, we go to Dallas to speak with Isaac Harris of Locked On Mavs about the beginning of Jason Kidd and his um, coaching era in Dallas. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, and we also have shows to cover your favorite team no matter the sport. So go and check that those out over there. So NBA, two weeks in, lots of stuff going on. We're going to talk about some of the biggest stories across the league right now. So hey, let's get to it. And i tell you what we need right now. We need to talk some Chicago Bulls because they are coming fresh off the back of beating the NBA's best regular season team from last year. That is the Utah Jazz. They've started out on fire with just that one loss coming to the New York Knicks. Big Dave is here from the Locked On Bulls podcast. Dave, there were some questions, I guess, the Bulls after they started 4-0 beating a bunch of, let's be honest, shitty teams. But um, that win over the Jazz... Yeah, how, how important is it to get a win like that against a team like that in the manner that they did? Oh, it's very important to get that. One, because it, you know, lends you credibility because, as you just said, nobody was respecting the first four wins that we got, even though, you know, you play who's in front of you. But the Jazz, as you said, the best team in the West, you know, came in undefeated, offensive rating off the charts. Uh, they were missing Mike Conley, but, you know, they're still super formidable. You know, you got Rudy Gobert, you got Donovan Mitchell, you got your boy Ingles. I'm sure you love Ingles. But then, you know, so you had that team out there. And coming off of that tough loss to the Knicks, which was like the first real test when people actually started paying attention to the Bulls. And then you get that loss of people like, ah, see, told you, you know, they probably aren't that good. So to come in and to win decisively like they did against Utah. Yeah, definitely a big win. We know before this game, we found out that Patrick Williams is going to be out for the rest of the season with this wrist dislocation. Mm. We, I spoke you know, in the offseason, we, we spoke about the lack of depth perhaps that Chicago has, especially at that forward spot. There's not, not a lot behind Patrick Williams with, you know, you've got Derek Jones Jr., you've got you know, Marco Simonovic there, but they're just going to go small. They're going to play DeMar DeRozan up at the four. They're going to bring Javonta, or they have brought Javonte Green into the starting lineup. Yeah, Patrick Williams, I wouldn't say, had the best start to the season, but in terms of size and just being a, a guy who can defend up at the three and the four, there's not that many options there. So while they did get that win against the Jazz without Williams there, like, is this a bigger loss than people are maybe uh, making it out to be? I'm going to say no, honestly. Um, you know, we love Patrick Williams. We know what he's going to bring, and I was very high on him coming into this season. It was going to be a big step for him, and the team definitely had high hopes for him coming in. But you have to remember, in the preseason, he didn't play one game because, you know, he had the uh, sprained ankle. So the Bulls kind of developed a little chemistry with Javante Green being in there playing that four position. And you saw what Javante could do because, honestly, nobody knew Javante Green could do that. He came in. He was just aggressive, you know, diving, cutting. You know, anytime guys were double teamed on the post, he was the first one cutting to the basket for an easy bucket. 
he's the one disrupting the passing lanes also like he just really did a really excellent job and you saw that also against utah but you mentioned the depth the bulls if they're deep at any position it's that position as far as the wing is concerned because they're they have no problem playing small ball billy donovan loves running three guard lineups it's his thing he really enjoys doing that. If you look at the end of those games that they play, Caruso is always in there with Zach Levine, with DeMar DeRozan, with Lonzo Ball. So they've been running those four-guard lineups prim- primarily since the you know season has begun. So it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal because of the size. Is cons- you know what I'm saying? When that comes into playing things like that. But Derrick Jones Jr., as you mentioned, and those other guys, they are definitely going to step up, and they definitely did against Utah. Now, Utah is also a small team. Like, they're running you know, mm-hmm. Bogdanovich and Royce O'Neal as their three and four. Like, these guys are guys who on other teams could pass as two guards, really. Like, they're not that big. So, we are, while it was great to get that win, is there, what sort of teams out there do you think could give the Bulls a problem when they're running Green and DeRozan as their de facto fours? Oh, the first two come into your head are uh, the Milwaukee Bucks mm-hmm. and the Los Angeles Lakers. Those teams, I mean, well, one, you got Giannis, who's a monster, who's yeah, a machine. Luck. It's nothing you can really do about that. He's going to do what he's going to do. But then you look at L.A., and that's a big basketball team right there in L.A. So, And they play them in a couple of weeks on a back-to-back after playing the Clippers. So, yeah, they got a tough little schedule coming up. So we'll see what it is then. But I'm sure Tony Bradley is definitely going to get some tick. He's going to be in there playing um, – I hope uh, uh, Vooch has rested up and healed and feeling better because he's going to be out there a lot, you know, for that size when he, when they play those teams like that. So, yeah, and for those two teams off the top of my head, those are the first teams I think of they might struggle against. Who's been the most important acquisition this offseason? Um, I, I guess the, mm. the obvious answer is, is going to be DeMar DeRozan, but there's mm. Lonzo Ball and there's also Alex Caruso, who's been awesome. So who has been most important to the Bulls' early season success? Early season, it's DeMar. I mean, like you said, it's the obvious answer because of the scoring punch he provided. He actually won two games for the Chicago Bulls because of his scoring ability in the fourth quarter and just missed a shot again against the Knicks to try to give the Bulls another victory where they could have easily been 6-0. and uh, But I also look at, like you mentioned, uh, Caruso. I look at Caruso, man, and just what he can provide off the bench, not only, you know, come again, what he does defensively and those kind of things, but what he does for guards like Io, who's a rookie, and the things that he's going to learn from guys like Caruso, you know, with that winning tradition, with that scrappiness, with that toughness on defense, guys like Io are going to succeed in what they do on the basketball court when they're listening and playing under guys like Caruso. Caruso, obviously, he's yeah, had that experience playing with the Lakers but he's just really smart like on, on the court like the mm-hmm. things that he does like little taps little knocks little body positions little angles that he does right. like it, it gets unnoticed and I'm sure you Dave went before the Bulls signed Caruso you're like oh, okay the, the Lakers are just hyping this guy because he looks like you know a white accountant like the, is that is he a cult figure because of this like what's he doing out there is he actually good um, and then he comes across. Like I think, I, I think I had him on my, one of my all defensive teams last year. Like he, he's mm-hmm. that good. But it's just all those little things that he is able to do that often don't go, um, don't get recognized by everybody. So is, has that been a surprise to you? No, it hasn't. I, I knew what Caruso could do. I was definitely uh, watching that Lakers team and very impressed, especially with his athleticism, which isn't talked about a lot. Yeah. That dude is athletic. All right. But I knew from the second the Bulls got him, the Bulls were gonna he was going to be beloved because one of the Bulls' favorite things to do is scrappy white guys are the Bulls thing. And so when I saw Caruso and he was gonna come up in here, I said, Oh, they're gonna love this guy. And plus he's athletic, 
And plus, he's tough-minded. When he starts diving on the floor, you know, getting those loose balls, and then they and like you mentioned, when they see the IQ of him, and when they see how smart he is on both ends of the floor, they're gonna really fall in love with him. And you've seen it from day one, honestly. You saw we saw it in practice, uh, what he's been providing for this team, man. He's he's just been amazing. It hasn't been a surprise to me at all. So with the way that Bulls have started this season, have you changed your expectations for the year? No, my expectations are still the same. I had the Bulls at a six seed. Uh, coming in, I still feel that way, uh, especially losing Patrick Williams. That mm-hmm. size, even though I think that they can maintain and still be a really excellent basketball team, is going to be an issue so at some point in time, you know what I'm saying, in the season. But I still kind of got them at a six seed, man. So if they surprise me and go a little higher than that, hey, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think that's where I had them as well in the preseason around that sort of mark. And it hasn't changed for me. That that one question we had was depth and now they've lost a starter. So we'll see how they're able to recover. But it is going to be an interesting ride. They're one of the most fun and most watchable teams in the NBA, Dave, which we haven't been able to say for quite a while with the Chicago Bulls. So it's, a, it's good times for you guys. Go and check out everything about the Chicago Bulls over on the Locked On Bulls podcast. Big Dave Watson, thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. My man, Josh, thanks for having me, man. Bulls, I have to tell you that finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. You can hire faster and better than ever with Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire all at Indeed. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Indeed, so you can find the talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor your job post. So... That's according to Indeed data. So get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked on. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked on. Indeed.com slash locked on. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Familiar problem. You got your sports, live sports you watch somewhere. You watch your highlights on your phone. You got your other shows that you watch somewhere else. And you got your neighbors log in for the other stuff. It's all over the place. It's clutter. It's confusion. Nobody wants that. I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. A great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can find out more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required and content varies by package. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA. I'm your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball channel, which you can find right here on YouTube. You can click the link down below to check out that as well. Now we're going to talk some Scotty Barnes with the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, Sean Woodley. Before we get that, this is a... Let's get in now to talk about the Toronto Raptors and their, uh, I don't know, exciting package out of the NBA draft. Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors is here. Let's just start... Out is Scotty Barnes the best or second best player of all time? Uh, I mean, I guess we could debate the best player of all time for a day, but it's Scotty Barnes. Like, we don't need to have any sort of nuance here. Scotty Barnes is the greatest player of all time. Uh, he's averaging like 18 and 9 
for a team that is above 500 missing its best player. Actually, no, they're not missing their best player because Scotty Barnes is here and he's the best player of all time. So I just contradicted myself. But yeah, uh, Scotty Barnes rocks. It's been a lot of fun to watch him and it's been a pleasant surprise to see that he can score. And uh, do that was kind of the big thing, right? Is can Scotty Barnes score at any level? Apparently he can and he can do so with wonderful efficiency. We talked a few times in the preseason about the Raptors being underrated by the media. I, I believe I have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure I had them in my playoffs when I did my playoff predictions and people thought I was pretty crazy to have that. I had them going over their win projection. And I was pretty excited to see what they can do. But look, in all honesty, like I, I did not like them picking Scotty Barnes at number four. Yeah, from what I saw from him at Florida State, the complete lack of any ability to shoot and score in a college environment and the unwillingness to score was was something where I thought, I don't know how this is going to work. But the gigantic, it's been literally an unbelievable transformation to be from a guy who couldn't shoot, couldn't score, wouldn't shoot, wouldn't score, to just be a guy that would play it sort of off and pass. And now he's like, well, don't worry about passing. I'm just going to do it all myself. It has been a, <laughs> and because his assist numbers are, are not high. He's averaging what, two mm-hmm. a game or three a game? Like they're not high. I thought he'd be like, mm-hmm. I'll get five or six assists and we'll average seven points. And that can still be valuable. But how has he been, and, and, He's not doing this, Sean, by coming out and shooting 50% from three that's going to regress. I think he's shooting 27% from three or or something like that. But the complete change in his game and the willingness to take these pull-up jumpers has been unbelievably astonishing. And even the staunchest Raptors and Masai Ujiri supporters and we trust Masai and all this, nobody could have expected this change in the way that he is approaching the game. No, not at all. I, I think the big key with Scotty Barnes so far, I know the mid-range pull-ups are like the thing that's got everyone kind of going ooh and ah, and I certainly do that when he does that because it's like, holy crap, this is insane. Uh, at that game against, I think it was the Magic on Friday where he goes for 19 in the first half, I think he hit like four or five pull-up mid-range jumpers, just probably more than you would have seen him hit in his entire college career at oh, Florida yeah. State. That stuff's great, but what's really shocking about Scotty Barnes is how good he is finishing around the rim. Like, there's just no way to block his shot. He's so long. His arms are so long. He just finds the right angles. There was a possession last night when they played the Pacers where he kind of backed down Demonis Sabonis, who was obviously bigger than him, but he just kind of, like, found the proper angle to throw one up off the glass, and it just, like, landed in perfectly. It's just he's got, like, a really good understanding of the angles, and it also helps that he is enormous. I know he's only listed at six foot nine, but he feels like he's seven foot three out there with how much ground he covers, how big of a target he is as, as a pick and roll dive man as well. And I think finishing around the basket, I mean, you're just kind of be working out for if you're Scotty Barnes, right? Like I think the three point shot will come at some point. The jumper obviously looks like it's a little bit more refined than it was in college. I don't know if he's ever going to be like a high volume guy necessarily, but he doesn't have to be when he scores, you know, 60% around the rim. And that has given the Raptors just a huge boost because a lot of those baskets around the rim are coming on on offensive boards as well. He's been killing the offensive glass. And for a team that has a rough half-court offense that is missing a ton of shots, having that long dude just kind of around there with a nose for the ball who can put it back up and in, it's been enormous. And it's been a big part of his game. And it's kind of, you know, shocking that he's been doing this without kind of going outside the flow of the offense either. All of it's coming within the flow. And I guess the flow of the Raptors offense is long, drawn-out, half-court possession, miss Scotty Barnes' offensive rebound. But it's working, and he's been huge in terms of just kind of making the Raptors have an advantage in the possession game basically every game. We're going to talk about OG Ananobi in a second. Um, but yeah. the, I guess the elephant in the room is the fact that Pascal Siakam hasn't played yet. Now, my initial, you know, 
before the season started, the estimation was, okay, Siakam will come back, Barnes will move to the bench, he'll play like a 29-minute mm-hmm. sixth-man role. But at this point, it feels impossible. But my question to you, Sean, is you know, for a guy that is playing as well as he is, you know, the 25% outside shooting, if you combine, if you have him, OG, and Siakam all starting... Now, whether that's with another center or not, like whether you're going to put you know, Scotty or OG at the two and you still have Precious and Ken Birch at the five, would Nurse be mm-hmm. happy to play Siakam at the starting at the five? Like, where does the spacing come from on an offense where you got Barnes, Siakam, OG? Now, OG's turned into a pretty good shooter, but he's not a complete long-range threat or guy that just stands exclusively out there like Gary Trent. How does that all work? Is there concerns that that might get a bit squishy? I think if they opt to keep Barnes in the starting lineup, there's a way it can work. And I think it's if they just play small. I, I know yeah. like Raptors fans have like ghosts in their head about what small ball looks like because of what happened last year. And the team was just obviously a mess. You know, they're missing guys. Aaron Baines was terrible, all of that. But like if you think about last year's Raptors team, their best moments came when they played small. They played this Lowry, uh, Fred Van Vliet, Norm Powell, OG Siakam lineup, which was super tiny and was really good. And that coincided with, I think it was a 15-7 and run they went on after their 2-8 and start that got them back to 500 before COVID hit and ruined their season. I think they could do something similar this year and play Van Vliet, Trent, Ananobi, Siakam, and Barnes as your center. Like Kind of put him in the position where... He can be your dive man. He can make plays from the middle of the floor in the short roll, which he's really good at, and he's got great vision and great patience there. We know he can finish on the dive as well. And I think Siakam, you know, as much as he shot terribly from three last season, I think that was more aberration than anything. He was a 36 37% guy the couple years before. I think that should come back, you know, in some way here. Maybe he's not going to be the sort of above-the-break bombing dude like he was in 2019-20, but I think there's a happy medium with his three-point shooting where maybe the difficulty comes down but the average comes back up to where you would expect to see Siakam about that 35-36 range. OG as a kind of standstill guy is unbelievable. He's like 40% for his career as a catch-and-shoot guy. So I think you could kind of run sort of like a spread-looking team with that small ball lineup and have just this hellacious defense where you've got that switchable 3-4-5. Who's the center? I don't really know on defense, but they all you know guard off whoever they want to. Gary Trent Jr. has been killer on the defensive end so far this season i believe he leads the league in deflections he's right up there in steals and then we know what fred van vliet is at the point of attack that lineup i think you can make it work and i think you have to have those three guys og siakam barnes playing together as much as possible because they're three of your four best players at this point you got to have them out there as much as you can and you know the the trade-off here is that someone from the group of precious achua chris boucher kem birch Yuta Watanabe, maybe even two or three of those guys are going to get squeezed on minutes if you go with that small ball starting five. But I just think that's your best five right now, and there's a lot to like about it. It's small ball without the sort of trouble that you come into when you're playing super small because you have three guys who are 6'8", 6'9", who are all good rebounders, who all are really good defenders and can guard up positions. I think that's the move for the Raptors here, although I totally understand if the if the sort of complexities of figuring out the rest of the rotation make it so it's more of a closing lineup than it is, than it is a starting five. On to Ananobi. Um, people who you know, I interact with in, in the fantasy community are probably a little bit disappointed with OG this season. I'm trying to talk them off a ledge because they're being crazy <laughs> because they're like, oh, yeah, he's he's just not doing what he needs to do. He's, he looks passive at times. And to me, that that, that feels insane. So from a, a local perspective on OG, look, the shots haven't gone. He's, he's had some horrendous shooting performances, but he's still mm-hmm. averaging 18 points a game. He's still hitting three threes per game. 
He's at 38% from the field, which is obviously a, a terrible number, but it's not something we expect to stick. He's still hitting 36% from three. So what's off with his game and how easy is it to correct in terms of, like he's hitting 40% of twos and that's a ridiculously low number. So what is it that yeah. is just off with him at the moment in those shots? Is it just something that's easily correctable? Or is it just a weird little streak? I think it's just growing pains, right? This is a guy who's always been like a supremely low usage guy, right? Even last season, he was like a 19% usage guy. He's up at like 25, 26, 27% in some of these games. And it's just a lot to sort of handle, especially when Pascal Siakam is not there. And he really is the sort of apple of the defense's eye in a lot of cases. And he's getting a lot of guys sent his way. People are loading up. They're sending two towards him. And in fairness to him, his playmaking has been really nice so far. You know, I think the only the assist, the assist numbers are at like three a game right now. But he's had a couple of five assist games in the last couple here. He's really kind of mastering passing from the baseline and finding shooters. He's got this wraparound pass that he's kind of worked on where he sort of whips it around the big and finds a guy on the wing on the opposite side. You know, he's coming a long way when it comes to that. And it is just sort of... You know, the e e ecosystem he's playing within, you know, you mentioned the trouble with spacing when Pascal Siakam gets back. It, the spacing's terrible right now. They, it's, they at times have like two shooters on the floor and OG is often one of them with the ball in his hands. I think what's going to really help OG here is when Pascal Siakam comes back, OG doesn't have to be the on-ball guy every single time down. He doesn't have to be initiating a ton of possessions. It's going to be sort of a by-committee thing between OG, Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet. And I really think when that happens, you're going to see OG really thrive. Because where he's been at its best this season is when he's doing the sort of opportunistic thing, where he's cutting and getting an easy bucket that way, where he's you know trailing and, and getting a wide-open three. You know He can do some of the creation stuff. His spin move's coming a long way. He can bully guys in the post. That's all going to help him, but... I think he's going to get a lot, more, a lot more easy buckets when Siakam is back, and there's just that much more attention to be paid towards Siakam. Obviously, as Barnes becomes more of an offensive threat too, that could help things along here too. I just think it's been, you know, a lot of sort of trial by fire for OG in a, in a role he's never even entertained, you know, taking up before. And it's happened to happen when Pascal Siakam is not there, and the the roster is kind of limited in terms of the help it can provide OG when he's got the ball in his hands. Well, it is really intriguing watching the Raptors this year, watching OG in this new role, watching the rookie phenomenon in Scotty Barnes. And of course, Sean, you're going to be watching all the Raptors games and telling us all about them over on the Locked On Raptors podcast. Thanks for coming here on Locked On NBA and, uh, and chatting Toronto with us. Anytime, man. I'm always happy to talk about the best player of all time. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Whatever your favorite flavor is, orange, raspberry, strawberry, mint, brownie, salted caramel, cookies and cream, coconut, plus all of those limited edition flavors they throw out there, Built Bar is going to have it and it's going to taste brilliant. Not like these other protein bars that just taste like you scraped it off the bottom of your shoe. Built Bar tastes just like a candy bar, but it's not just about taste because they're also healthy. 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories per bar. Just four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs. Built Bar is the delicious and healthy protein bar, and you can get it now for 15% off. So head to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, that's L O C K E D 1 5, to save 15% off your order of delicious Built Bars. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. All right, so let's bring him in now. One of the hosts of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, Isaac Harris, is here. Isaac, the Mavs have had some some interesting games so far. They're just coming off a win today here on Sunday. Halloween victory over the Kings. It's There's been some shaky performances. How would you judge the beginning of the Jason Kidd era in Dallas? Weird. Yep. Strange. It's, I mean, I 
literally was just talking to some people at the game the other day. And it's like, I, I don't even know how to define it yet because we've, we've gotten a leadership council. We've gotten a 15 man, like the first coach in NBA history to play 15 players in like three quarters. You know, it's, we we're four and two, but it's like, I don't know how confident like we are in the team because the offense, you know what, two years ago, we were setting records on offense, you know, wise and, and now we're, you know, we scored 75 points in a game the other day. So it's, it's just been weird and clunky, but we're just kind of like fight through it. And can we hover around that like 500 level while we try to figure everything out? Yeah, look, the wins, you know, there's a less than inspiring win against the Rockets. There's a win against the Spurs and the Kings and the Raptors, all non-playoff teams last year. And then you play the two good teams, the Hawks and the, and the Mavericks, and you, you know, it's a combined 57 points in those two losses. And I think that's probably where the concern is that against those good teams, just getting the absolute pants beat off them. That, I guess, has to be a, a level of concern. And then there is that that weird stuff. There's the Leadership Council stuff. There's the Kristaps Porzingis injury where he just left a game with back tightness. Then Jason Kidd said post-game, nah, he's fine. And then he hasn't played in a week since then. So there is just a bunch of weirdness going on with this team. So let's let's start with Porzingis here. You know, what's what's the update on this injury? Because again, what we heard was, oh, he's fine. All right, cool. If he's fine, then why hasn't he played since Tuesday? Do we have any timetable of when he's coming back? Is there an actual injury there? Like, what's going on here? No timetable, no update. Even before the game, Jason Kidd talked to the media and was like, no update on KP. He's out for uh, for back tight, lower back tightness. So. It's no update. <laughs> there's there's nothing to it. it. It is you know it's it's odd. Uh, he did leave that game in that game that he did he did, he did leave. You know he wasn't playing well at no. all. And it's like once he left and went to the bench, they they seemed like they had a little bit more you know groove and rhythm to it. Maxi you know Maxi Kleba has been the best big for the Mavericks this season. I mean clearly I mean it's been six games, but he's been the, the most in, impactful, most important big for the Mavs this season. So it's like when he plays, they have just they have more you know flexibility on offense and defense. But but even Maxi you know in the in the Kings game. You know he got hurt in that game, and, and he he left with a back injury of his own. So, it they're going to be kind of for a team that's had that has a million centers on the roster. Now suddenly they're like, oh, we kind of thin up front. This is you know complete conspiracy theory, Isaac. So debunk it. But I'm just going to put. I'm just going to say it anyway. Is there a chance Money. that yeah, you know, Porzingis was playing poorly in that game where his back got hurt, and the Mavs just said we just can't with you anymore. Um, so we're just going to hold you out for a bit and see if we can uh, see if we can get. A trade going on here because something's not right it's whether it's you and the coach or you and the fans or you and your teammates there's something not right here maybe we'll just sit you out for a bit and see if we can get something that is going to benefit both of our parties as we move forward here now when you you look at how last season ended you know it was reported you know i think tim and manny espn you know reported that he had pretty much went to the team and was like hey i you know Let's find a new home, basically. Yep. And, you know, if you would have asked me, this was before the front office turnover, before Rick Carlisle left. If you would ask me, you know, at the end of last season, will, will everyone be back? My choice at that point would have been Porzingis would have been gone, and, you know, before the start of the season. But then obviously Donnie was fired. Then Rick Carlisle left for Indiana. And then the narrative shifted because now we have Jason Kidd, it's new regime. And it's like Porzingis is healthy for the first time this offseason. All this stuff is like, hey, we're going to try to make it work. So then I'm like, all right, they're really going to try to make it work. And, 
you know, so far, you know, preseason happened, the season started, they wanted to try to get, you know, KP the ball more in the post and, you know, in the mid range at the elbow and trying to do these things for him. But the problem is he just hasn't been efficient in that area. It, it wasn't, you know, it, it became the popular thing to just say, hey, Rick Carla just threw him in the corner. But it, he also put him in the corner because KP wasn't efficient in the post at the same time. So it's kind of like uh, the chicken and the egg, which one happened first on that. So that's, what happens moving forward with KP and the Mavs? We'll have to see because you know there was the <clears throat> chemistry sh- stuff with with him and Luca last year, a little bit off the floor, but that seems like it's been better. You know, over the off season, it's been better to start this season. But what happens as far as his future with Dallas? Your guess is as good as mine in that. And if he doesn't play another game and until they find something, I mean, Mavs fans know this. Dennis Smith Jr. had lower back tightness until he was shipped off. And that was, you know, that was just the, what happened. So, is it is it already starting to, you know, linger in some Mavs fans' brains a little bit? On dang, is this a similar type situation? I don't know, but also don't know what his his trade market would be around the league right now, making over thirty million a year. Luka Doncic, it he hasn't been at his best, and you know, there's all that talk preseason why we want you know Luka to play off ball a little bit more. But Isaac, the results of that. Um, I don't know. They've been dreadful, really. Like it, yeah. when you've got a guy who's unbelievably dominant with the ball in his hands and sets up an offense, and just basically, I feel like Luca's attitude a lot of this time with some of the guys that are around him are like, just everybody, just get out of the way and just let me do it. Yet the offense is calling for him not to do that, and it hasn't worked. Will there be? Is there any inkling of Luca being frustrated with this new approach of taking the ball out of his hands compared to where it was last season? The results, at, you know, six games in, are clearly not where they should be. But why is there this insistence of getting the ball out of his hands when you've got guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Tim Hardaway trying to initiate offense when they can't really dribble very much? Like, what is the insistence of getting that ball out of Luca's hands when that has been a proven successful method? I think, well, a lot of times, you know, it comes down to the fourth quarter. And it's like, Luca, we have seen Luca tired in the fourth quarter. We've seen, you know, teams even start to shift their, you know, approaches a little bit, even to this at the beginning of this season. I've seen them play up a little bit tighter on Luca, playing the passing lanes a little bit more on Luca instead of and just giving him some of this mid range stuff. And that I think that's where it, 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 it's birthed out of this idea of like, we got to get Lucas some help to where he's not just all ball dominant. Can we have some guys that can run the offense a little bit that we can get him off the ball and get him some spot up threes to where not every single three that he's taking is step back, you know, 30 footers. So I think he would be willing to do it if we had the personnel to do it. If there was somebody on the roster, another guy who could play make and do it well i think he would be like we've seen him you know a few a handful of years ago play with Dragic on the national team and win Eurobasket, and he was sharing those duties with Dragic. he obviously loves Dragic, an older brother type figure in that but if there was somebody on the roster and that's what we're trying we're hoping that jalen brunson could be that but that was why they went after a kyle lowry you know over in the offseason but they you know obviously they didn't get lowry so i think he'd be willing to do it but with this current roster and the current makeup of the roster, the best version of this team is with the ball in Luca's hands and doing what they've done the past you know year or so. And right now they're kind of fighting that because they want to satisfy KP. They want to get him the ball, but they want to try to get other people involved too. But I think when the dust settles, we're going to see the ball in Luca's hands just like we've seen over the past few years because that's the best version of the team. 
you spoke about the older brother in Goran Dragic. What's the chances that we see him in a Mavericks uniform before Christmas? I think it's very high. I think I think it's very high, especially if he gets bought out. I, yeah, I I think he I think he will be wearing uh, Dallas across his chest um, when we're ringing in the new year. Well, he's not even playing in Toronto. Like Delano Banton has taken that rotation spot away from Dragic, and let's be honest, he hasn't looked great up there. But there was all those that talk even before the preseason that maybe his heart wasn't in going to Toronto, and he said all the right things when you asked by the media after that initial comment. But he's not participating up there at all so I wouldn't think that the asking price for Goran would be particularly high but maybe that alleviates some of that pressure on Luca and the offense gets going again Isaac of course you'll break all of this down for us along with Nick over on the Locked On Mavericks podcast throughout the season thanks for coming on Locked On NBA and uh, and chatting Dallas with me thanks Josh you're the goat appreciate you and that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you are subscribing or following this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Check me out on Locked On Fantasy Basketball as well. And we're also on YouTube. So many shows. We're going to head or have all the shows on YouTube soon. But whatever show you're looking for, just go and search on YouTube. Find your favorite Locked On show over there. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Sorry for that little remix, guys.